0: This is the Teaching and Learning Podcast from the Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation at Lethbridge College in Southern Alberta, Canada. Located on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, it is the intent of our college community to honour the land from a place of connection and provide an avenue for us all to come together in a holistic way to share stories and learn from each other. Tune in hit play, and get inspired as guests share their stories and ideas on the dynamic, ever-changing landscape of education, teaching, and learning. I am Donna McLaughlin, a learning experience designer in the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation at Lethbridge College, and I am the host of the Teaching and Learning podcast. Our guest today is Jacqueline Doherty, Current Dean of Lethbridge College's Center for Teaching, Learning and Innovation. She was born and raised in Lethbridge, but taught and lived internationally before eventually returning back to Southern Alberta. She got her Bachelor of Fine Arts and Bachelor of Education from the University of Lethbridge and her Master's in Educational Research and Technology from the University of Calgary. She is currently working on her doctorate at Western University. Welcome, Jackie. Hi, Donna. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today and uh, learn more about your thoughts and your background. And maybe we'll start a little bit with um, your teaching and traveling internationally. Can you um, kind of talk about some of those experiences? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess my my
1: education background, like you mentioned, starts back uh, as an education student at the University of Lethbridge. Um, and once I graduated from that, uh, it was actually during a, a teacher strike that was happening here in Alberta. Um, my At the time boyfriend now husband and I decided to uh, go and travel for what was supposed to be a year. Um, We went to Taiwan and we had planned to teach English and then eventually come back to Canada but that ended up turning into four years um, because at that point I ended up getting a job in the international schools and really really fell in love with it. And then after a few years of that, though, my husband uh, had decided to go back and finish his master's degree. So I followed him to New York. (laughs) So we lived there for a little while, which was also wonderful uh, before coming back to Lethbridge and uh, just to be close to family and, and raise our, our family. And uh, when I first came back, I don't know if this is, the, this is what you're looking for, but um, I knew that my pathway was in education. And at that point, I was still looking at the K to 12 education. Um, so I went after um, whatever job I could possibly get. And that started off as a substitute teacher here in Lethbridge. And it was horrible. I was not not good at it after teaching for several years in my own classroom um my first experience involved a bfi container with a student throwing old uh skates out into the street and oh my it, it was a disaster yeah, it was a disaster so uh i after that there was a position at the college uh, to teach uh yeah, interpersonal communication. And so I decided to take that on, absolutely fell in love with post-secondary uh, education. And I guess the rest is history um, in terms of how I got into education, but
0: yeah. But that was the, that was the beginning of it all. Are there, are there some things um, that you learned through your experience uh, internationally and in New York that contributed uh, to your work at the college? I think that the things that I learned most, I think that more than
1: anything, it just opened my my eyes to, you know, the cultures that exist out there. I mean, you can read all about them, you can see pictures, but when you actually go and travel and immerse yourself into that, um, A, you, you get to experience what their culture is, but you also get to experience what it's like to be a minority in that culture. I know when my when my husband and I first moved to Taiwan, we had said we are going to just, you know, jump into the culture. We're not even going to, you know, try to find where the other Canadians are and it took about a week and and you you were you felt like you were definitely a fish out of water and and you found yourself looking to see okay where are some of the people that know some of the, you know have some of those same connections that I have which helps you ease into that so I think it helped open your eyes but it also um, it's it just made me really excited about about how much more there is to learn about people and and where they're coming from and how they see the world. I think that that's
0: it. Travel is always a very transformative experience. I ha- I traveled a little bit when I was younger too and had that same experience as you of feeling like what it feels like to be in the minority. So yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah, no, it is.
1: and And I think also you can talk about, you know, uh, seeing the, the world in somebody else's shoes. You can always talk about that. But when you go and you immerse yourself and you can really see where some of those perspectives are coming from and what they're rooted in, I think that's just a real gift to be able to do. And so many people don't get a chance to to do that. So I feel very privileged that I, I've had that in my life for sure. And even living in New York, I mean, living uh, down in a, in a big city like that and and seeing all the different cultures that exist down there and and what that's all about was also I, I'm, it was a great opportunity
0: as well. Excellent. Um, going back to uh, to the current days now, and I know you're taking your doctorate, but I don't know anything more than that about it. Do you want to talk about uh, what you're studying, what your research is about, what you're working on?
1: Yeah. So I'm taking an a ed- uh, doctorate of education at, at Western University. And what we are working towards is a we're looking at a problem of practice and so the problem of practice that I'm addressing is um, is about it's basically centered on creating cultures of innovation in higher education so um, the great thing about that is it's it's I can look at this within the context of where I work every day with the teams that I work with with CTLI Um, but what I found um, as I've kind of started on this journey is that the word innovation which we have in the center for teaching learning and innovation is is often it's a murky term, right? People, it's often either misrepresented, it's overused, um, or it can be confused with other terms like creativity and entrepreneurialism, which don't always, um, aren't always welcomed, I guess, in in the post-secondary arena. Um, So I guess it's just helping me really define what that actually means. And more importantly, what conditions need to be present in order for that to exist in, in our everyday work
0: um you were mentioning uh with the culture of innovation um you didn't use the word criteria what was the word that you used some of the elements that are are required yeah yeah
1: it's the conditions right conditions. and so Right. And so as a as somebody who is in a leadership position, I, I get a real opportunity to kind of look over, you know, the landscape of our center. So oftentimes I'm not in there getting my hands dirty, which I, I will admit is something that I, I do miss a little bit, But um, but I do have another opportunity to see where things connect and to see where maybe there are some gaps and where we have to maybe create conditions so that people Feel that they can either behave in innovative ways, or that innovation can start to emerge from from the ground up, because I don't think that you can force innovation on people. You can't force people to be innovative. Um, it has to be something that, um, where the
0: conditions around them allow them to do that on their own. So. And would you see that as being part of your management style in in having that ability to step back and create those conditions? I would say,
1: because you're asking me that, I would hope that that's part of my management style. But um, I think actually maybe a more reflective response might be um, just even reflecting on what has worked for me in the past. So not that, that none of this is, is ever calculated, but if I look back on my own career and my own education and, and where I am and how I got here, oftentimes the biggest influencers were, were those who, those people who helped me create those conditions. So I go back to even my teaching practicum when I was at the University of Lethbridge doing my PS2 at a, a school, um, at a middle school uh, for students that don't learn in the normal or the, the regular school system they go to this alternative school system and my professor at the time who was in charge of you know guiding me through that she just really pushed me all the time to just kind of think outside the box and and to not really follow those conventional kind of ways because and it was always more successful but I think what helped me was that there was also a lot of failures in there, and she encouraged me to embrace those and to learn from them. And so it also gave me the courage to know that things are gonna probably flop sideways some ways, but it's okay, because I've got those conditions, I have those support networks around me that are, are gonna help me kind of bring it back forward or have the courage to let it go all together because that's okay. So when I look at myself as a leader, and I see that happening, in, in our work environment, I, I guess my biggest hope is that people feel that same courage that they can go, they can try new things. This podcast is an example of that. This is emerging and I'm so excited to see where it goes. Um, and I hope that that all of you feel
0: that as as well, I guess. It, it is really important in that aspect of innovation and creativity to be comfortable with that failure and taking a risk. Yeah. Well, and especially in, in higher education, right?
1: Because we can't get away from hierarchies here. Our system, it's, it's an old system. It's been around for thousands of years and it has always been built on those hierarchies. But we have control within our own immediate work environment to take some of those and look at leadership in a different way. So leadership, I think, stems from all, area, all angles. It doesn't mean me as the dean has to, has to push down on some leadership model on the rest. It, it's a lateral uh, progression that I see happening daily within our center. So I hope that I've had something to do with that. But I think more importantly, I think that it's the people who have been able to foster that and to to grow it.
0: In looking at uh, leadership and models of leadership, can you talk a little bit about the complexity leadership theory Yeah. So uh, complexity leadership theory actually stems
1: from some of the work that I'm doing with my doctorate and it is about paradigms. It's about, well, and more so framing kind of our perspective and how we look at the world. And, and like I mentioned in higher ed, um, there's often some very formal structures that are that exist, and and there's things that we won't be able to get away from. We have government that has certain regulations and certain uh, guidelines that we need to follow. We have our own legislation, our own policy that we that exists for various reasons within our own institution, and then there's also the ways that we have to interact with other institutions and share resources and work together. So there's always this tug of war between you know, uh, just simple concepts like like collaborating but also competing you know we have to there are there's all of these tensions that exist in the same arena and we're constantly having to look at at how they all work together and how one can help benefit another as opposed to siloing each of those circumstances into different into different categories. So one of the, the biggest uh, lessons that I that I learned was from an article that I read recently, and I'm going to have to find that and, and share it on here, but it was, um, it talks about intersections and all the intersections that exist within our work environments. So you have the administrative components. So you have some of those that might be viewed as, as you know, barriers, but they, they have to exist, right? And then you have um, some of the other conditions that allow agility, you to make quick decisions, you know, but you have to be able to put some of those those pieces in place. So um yeah I think complexity theory looks at it from all angles and recognizes that it is not, you know, it is not one or the other. It's it is a complex framework that we have to work within. And in many ways, that framework, that structure actually helps us, it gives us that container or that safety net to be able to act in different ways, to be innovative, to be creative, because it supports you, right? It it supports what we do and how
0: we behave going back to talking about leadership and the complexity leadership theory. Um, so I'm not sure is this um, something that you're currently researching? Yeah. Like I said, complexity leadership
1: is, it's just one framework. It's one way to look at, to look at the world and to look at where we exist. Um, there's lots of different ones that we can, that we can look at. This is just one that I think acknowledges that, um, when, when I'm looking at innovation and I'm looking at leadership together, it acknowledges that it is complex, that it has a lot of different pieces that don't always flow nicely together, but sometimes they intersect to create something really amazing. Right. So it's, and sometimes it, sometimes it's unpredictable. You don't know, you don't know when those intersections are going to happen, but they just do. And so as a leader, I feel like if I can look through that frame, I can, I can, more easily identify where we plug certain things in and where we need to unplug, right? So it's, I, I've often uh, thought about the metaphor, you know, looking at, actually there's two metaphors that I often think about. One is the Christmas light metaphor. You know, you have a string of Christmas lights and you have one that burns out. What happens to the rest of the of the light, uh, the light structure? Oftentimes you have a whole part of your string that is is unwired and is burnt out, right? So in, So you either replace that with something new or you chuck it all together. <laughs> but the other one is just looking across, like I said, a cityscape where you have all the lights that are connected and one part of it goes out. So what do you need to reconnect that part of it? Or what do you need to help another part of lights you know, start to emerge? And so that's the complexity and the intersections that, that often come together.
0: Those are great metaphors and are really helpful in, in kind of seeing how you view things as a leader. Um, how do you balance your own creativity? With your leadership role, I, I guess this goes back to what I was talking about before: is that this, the people
1: around me that have always encouraged me to kind of push those boundaries and to step a little way, a little bit outside of what maybe is familiar to me. Um, but I also think I I definitely surround myself with support. So I have an incredible leadership team um, in CTLI. I have an incredible, broader team within CTLI, and, and my own leadership, you know, our, our provost and, and that leader, I, I feel like I have that support, that support network around me to help me kind of feel like when I do need to step outside the box or push some boundaries or I want to, that I have that support behind me. And so I think tapping into that is important. Um, the other thing is uh, to have a certain amount of humility, because I know that um, I know that most of the people that I surround myself with that my my leadership team, the people who are on my team can usually do whatever it is that they do or what I kind of envision at the beginning way better than I would ever be able to do that, and I think that that's part of it is to know that creativity can't or innovation is often not done on your own. Most of the time, it's not done on your own. It's about tapping into some of the the talents and the resources around you and and to be able to recognize where those might be. I think that's probably how I balance it the most. My team is is definitely my lifeline and it definitely is how I identify myself as a leader. I mean, I can turn out, I can throw out terms like distributed leadership and, and those are definitely... Um, Leadership styles that I identify with, but probably most because team is at the center of what those are and yeah, so I think that that's how I that's probably how I balance it the most is just knowing that I can't do it on my own, but I have the support to do so
0: yeah, and that support system is important because I know I've heard you say that that innovation and creativity can be kind of messy and um, you know so it's good to have that support system when when things do get kind of messy absolutely
1: and I, I think that too you have to I guess you have to be comfortable with not always having a polished product at the end, right? That mess is what I actually feel most comfortable with. But in the end, I, I, I know that it can't, it can't exist always that way. So you have to get to what that is. And sometimes it's about, um, that experimentation and being able to kind of, you know, figure out how certain things go together, even things that are don't seem like they should at all, but to be able to figure out where you can start plugging some of those things in, I think that, I think you have to be
0: able to do that. Yeah. And certainly your perspective in, in sort of stepping back and being able to see the whole picture of CTLI helps you be able to, to do that, see those connections. So we're in a pandemic can't really avoid it. It's affected, Everything that all of us do, um, can you talk about how the pandemic has affected your work?
1: I actually, I mean, I would, I do not want to talk about the pandemic in a way that makes it sound like where that it's centered on opportunity, but I do because I know that there's been so much tragedy that has um, been caused by this pandemic, and it and it really there's so much um, uncertainty that still exists around that. But I do think that we would be, um, it would be really tragic if we didn't recognize the opportunity that came out of of um, what we've seen as a result of this pandemic. And one is actually looking at how our team has handled it and why we handled it the way that we did. So in a matter of just a few days, we were able to help lead an entire institution to uh, an environment that is not familiar to most Right, it takes people out of their comfort zone. Um, we were able to shift in a way that we um, that we weren't comfortable ourselves, but we were able to kind of. Pivot. I, I hate using the word pivot because I know it's become part of that, but we really did have to do that. And when I look back on that, I think how did how did we do it? I think it's because we've actually we had some of the structures in place to allow us to be able to do that quickly and to be able to make some quick decisions, um, to know that we were supported when we needed to. Um, that when we needed it. And um, that was really helpful. So I guess with what I'm saying is now that we're working through the pandemic, we know that we can do what we've done. Now we have to keep our eye on the future. And so what are what are we going to take away from this? So although we're still dealing with it, and we still have to uh, solve a lot of problems around that and make sure that we have everything in place it would be very unfortunate if we weren't already a step ahead of this and saying, okay, what can we still take with us? And what were we able to grab from this? And so I don't know if I'm actually answering your question. (laughs) I might be getting away
0: from it. (laughs) No, that's okay. Uh, There's a couple of things that that we can talk about. We can talk about the change in CTLI that sort of um, made us ready to handle what came with the pandemic, sort of that unexpected, um, situation I don't know do you want to do you want to talk about kind of I know you talked about sort of bringing CTLI together and uh, uh, breaking down silos and that kind of thing
1: yeah so I've only been in this position for two years but I knew when I first stepped into this because I had experience working in in a certain part of of our center um, that there was a whole world um, out there as part of the other part of our center that I needed to tap into and so um I feel like we were really fortunate to have had that year before the pandemic to, to bring all of our teams together. So we, we renovated a space that, that allowed us to create capacity to pull all of our teams under one roof. So all of a sudden we were roommates and we had to kind of work through that. And there were definitely tensions, but it also allowed us to start bridging some of the areas that really did operate separate from each other. So there really were, Uh, silos that existed and when you take all those silos and you put them into one space there's two things that happen one you have to kind of figure out how you're actually going to start living together and and there definitely were tensions with that and there was and we had to build trust to make sure that people um, knew that it was going to be okay in the end and that the work that they do even if it did change as a result of having these new roommates it was actually going to be stronger And then um, the other thing is to have our team recognize the others in our center as part of their team. So it wasn't them and us anymore. It was us. So even just starting to, to talk about us as CTLI, as opposed to learning services, LXD, you know, all the different units that exist within, we had to start talking about us as, as a larger unit. And once we did that, that's when the real magic started to happen and, and it started to emerge on its own. So it wasn't me coming in and saying, you will work together. It just started happening. We started having these, these teams that, you know, I mean this, this, I bring it back to this podcast team, but this is a multidisciplinary team that probably didn't, even maybe know each other at all before the last couple of years. And now all of a sudden you're coming up with these great projects and and you're brainstorming together and you're making the work that you might have done previously even better because there were gaps. There are always gaps. But the the fillers for those gaps actually existed all around around us. So that that's been really magical. And so when the pandemic hit, we were really lucky to already have that in place. So I mean just even things like having people step outside of what of their job to help accommodate another area that was really feeling a lot of pressure during that move we were able to do that because there was already, already that trust. It wasn't. We weren't using words like job stealing anymore, and and those actually did exist. They did. People thought, you know, there was that that mistrust at the beginning. All of a sudden, it was, how can I help you? What can I learn about your job that can help make it easier? And and so that just, I think that that was really that magic that happened the year before really helped us, kind of move into what we moved into this past year.
0: Yeah, it really, it really, we were kind of really primed to be able to turn, as you say, and deal with all the changes that the pandemic brought. Right, and, I, and it also brought different opportunities that we didn't even know existed before.
1: You know, like we, uh, just different ways that we could bring people together to solve some of these issues that our instructors or our students were having that we probably wouldn't have been able to solve on our own before, right? So um, I think that it just really gave us an opportunity to not only work better together, but then it set the foundation for how we're going to start working with units outside of CTLI. So we have student affairs and we have uh, IT that we are now working really well together. Not that we didn't work well before, but we have some of those, you know, those foundations and those um, we see that there, that it, it is better when we can work together as opposed to keeping up the walls around us. So.
0: Yeah, it's really strengthened connections and strengthened relationships. And so is that part of where you see things going now, going forward in the future? Yeah. So you mean the connections, making the connections and we oh yeah, absolutely.
1: So I think that if we're, if we're looking at what's to come next year, 2021, 2022, I think it's about continuing to build that infrastructure. So continuing to look at the, you know, the systems, the processes, the policies, all of that stuff that, that helps Wrap that container around us and how we can strengthen that even more so that we can actually be more flexible because we have that, you know, so I think that that'll be next year what we're doing. So we're discussing things like high flex learning. Well, that's a big concept that that can be a lot of work. And it is a lot of work, but if we have all the pieces in place to support us as we go through that process, we're better off. But at the same time, removing the barriers that are stopping us from, from moving in that direction as well. So creating different opportunities where you know, more flexibility for our students, let's stop talking about it and start building the infrastructure that will help us do that. Uh, building support networks around our instructors that will give them the support that they need so they can continue doing what they do best in their connections with students and sharing their expertise, but at the same time, um, maybe pushing their own boundaries a little bit because they know they have us to support them as well. So,
0: Yeah, that's true. We we end up being kind of part of those conditions for the instructors and for the students and part of that environment to uh, help them with their innovation as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So as part of our podcast, we talk about having a love of learning. And so I want to ask you about something that you have loved learning lately. Um, this can be something in your own personal life that, that has taken you down a a learning path. Okay. So, um, I knew you were going to ask me this question
1: because I've listened to to other pod or other some of the other podcasts and interviews that you've done. So I've really been thinking about what I would answer with this, and I think um, I'm at a stage in my life right now where uh, I just I just love learning new things, but a lot of that is centered on academics, and so. Uh, as um, I have two children and, um, one of them is 13 and he has really gotten into mountain biking. And so I thought, you know what? And mountain biking has always been part of my family. My brother was a sponsored mountain biker. My mom was a mountain biker or she mountain bikes. She's done a lot of cycling. My dad was our cheerleader on the side and it was really good, but I avoided it. And I never knew why I did probably cause I was I don't know, a little bit scared. I've, you know, I don't know what it was, but I avoided it. But this year I decided that it is something that I want to do. I want to be able to be out there with my kids when they're doing it and be part of that. So I went and bought myself a brand new blue bike and it is beautiful and it's a Rocky mountain and I love it. And, I, I decided that this is what I was going to do. I was going to learn it and I was going to try and conquer some of my fears and, um, And yeah, so I think that's been my biggest learning is I I stopped. I took a lesson out in the Crow's Nest Pass on how to do this. Some of the, you know, the technical things, you know, how to, how to turn and how to go downhills. And so I don't go over my handlebars. And so that's been my biggest, my biggest challenge that I've been trying to, to get over and and my biggest learning opportunity this year. So,
0: well, it's a perfect activity and there's something about getting a new bike even as an adult, that is the same excitement as when you were a kid and got a new bike. That shiny new bike is just always such an exciting thing. Oh, absolutely. And you know what the most
1: tragic thing is, is even though mountain biking is supposed to be rugged, I got my first chip on my bike. There's this little, something fell on it and I can't stop, I can't stop looking at it. It just makes me so mad because I know it's supposed to be rugged and it's supposed to be, you know, but yeah, I think I might have to get a decal for that because it's—I <laughs> just can't look down at this this one chip that's been put into my pretty blue bike. But actually, I—I've uh, always had hand-me-down bikes for most of my life, and—and and this sounds this sounds maybe weird, but my mom was always had these really great bikes, and I always just took her hand-me-downs, and she got a new one, and—and and because she was so into it, and so this year I got my own, and now my son he wants one, so he's been trying to ride it, but this one's mine. This is—I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm claiming this as my as my one thing. So yeah. It's been a big learning curve. And I know you're into mountain biking too, Donna. Yes.
0: Well, we're fortunate to live in a really great part of the world for that. I mean, the Coolies have a lot of fantastic trails. And then if you get a chance, as you say, to get up into the pass, uh, there's so many amazing places to go that aren't that far away in Southern Alberta. It's true. You get, I think I always say that. I mean, the wind
1: is awful. It's not something that I love, but if you can get yourself down into our coolies, it is, you see, you see our city and our environment in a totally different way. Um, it's funny because our president at the college is also into bike, mountain biking. And she mentioned the other day at some meeting that I was in, she said, you know, mountain biking is her one way that she can kind of escape and not think about things. And, it, and it's so true. If you think about it, when you're on that bike, that you can't think about anything else other than being on that bike or you will die. So, it's, you know, or you might die. I, I probably would die, but you know, when I'm so immersed in, in academics and, and thinking all the time about strategy and what we're doing, it actually is a really nice escape to be able to just focus on the, you know, the trail ahead of me. And yeah,
0: so I, I'm really loving it. Oh, that's excellent. It's so important to have that, you know, that work-life balance and that opportunity to get your mind into into, uh, something else. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today, Jackie, and learning more about um, your passion for the college and for the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation. Thank you so much for, uh, being part of the podcast, well, thank you
1: for having me. I, I'm really excited to see where it goes. And yeah, it's, it's just a really
0: exciting thing that you're doing. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Jacqueline Doherty as guest. Jude Bialik was our writer and producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician. Thank you also to Mike Smith, Joel Godry, Kelsey Jansen and Tyler Wall for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more information and inspiration, check out learninginnovation.ca